Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hello? This is the Brickflix Fright Fest Preview Series 2019. The Brickflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen and please rate and review us you can just rate us they all have star meters which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all just click on it and you're done and it'd be really helpful trust me the higher the star meter the more reviews we get the more ratings we get the more the britflix.com podcast goes up the charts please 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 come on i'm begging you now everyone listening Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast, FrightFest 2019 preview series. My name's Stuart Wright and this episode's guests are Jim Surreal. Hello. Hello, Stu. Hello. That doesn't sound like a man that's just got out of bed. Uh, <laughs> and hello, Tanya Klein. Hello. Thanks N- for having us. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Now, your film that's playing at Frightfest is To Your Last Death. Which, oh, yes. Which, if, before we go into any details and any other questions I might have, do you want to tell the audience what in the world To Your Last Death is? Well, To Your Last Death is a hand-drawn 2D animated horror film starring William Shatner, Morena Baccarin, Ray Wise, and Bill Mosley. Indeed it is. And, and what, what, would, what would be a synopsis of the story for you? Well, we like to uh, call it Saw Meets Groundhog Day. Uh, meets Archer. Meets Archer, yes. Um, essentially, you have a our heroine, Miriam, mm-hmm. uh, must relive the worst night of her life again um, in order to save her family. Fantastic. Yeah, basically, we, we start where some other horror movies end, which is, you know, with the final girl kind of walking from the bloody wreckage, the only survivor of this horrible night of terror, 
and with the entire event pinned on her by cops, she receives an offer from an intergalactic uh, game master, played by Morena Baccarin, this mysterious entity, to go back in time and do it all over again, but this time with foreknowledge, with the hope that the second time through, the outcome might be different, and she might be able to save uh, her family, who wound up dead because of this conflict. Uh, while the intergalactic gamblers uh, gamble on the outcome. Essentially, our game master is similar to a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons. Got you, got you. Now, before we go into detail about how you created this and how you made it, uh, it's 20 years of Frightfest this year. Um, yeah. And I'm asking Pete, all the guests that come on the podcast, to tell me their memories of their own 20th year. Well, <laughs> well when I was 20, I, I was in school in New York. <laughs> Okay, so was I. <laughs> when I was 20, I was also in school in New York, and honestly can't remember very much of it since I think uh, quite a few of my brain cells are, are still stuck to the inside of a bong somewhere. And what was school? What were you doing at school at age 20? Well, um, I was uh, studying uh, writing, directing, acting, and producing. And I was studying art and filmmaking and animation. And here we are then. <laughs> it was here we are, then. it was pro it was prophesied in your teaching that you would Isn't be that doing this. Strange. <laughs> the thing that we went to school for is the thing that we're actually doing decades later. Bizarre. <laughs> it is. It is to me. You're talking to an estate management graduate who's now screenwriting. So my <laughs> so my degree has got nothing nothing on my vocation whatsoever. Yeah. However, you have a marketable skill, which is a good thing. I'm not yes, entirely but, sure about that. As well as something that you can write knowledgeably about in your uh, screenwriting. If only it was that interesting. Mm. <laughs> well, look, guys, uh, like you say, it's an animation. Now, you, you, you co-wrote this and you produced it. Now, um, this gives me this is a unique situation for me to be talking about because usually, obviously, I'm talking about live-action films. So it's a chance for the, for the filmmaker audience out there to learn a little bit about how you go about making feature-length 2D animation. So from a from a from a starting point, then as you co-wrote it, um, what what for you was the sort of kernel of the idea that gave birth, as it were, to what is now the feature film to your last death? Well, the kernel of the idea was literally trying to do something new with horror. Uh, first of all, horror often, you know, uh, tends to rely on cliches that have been done before. Mm -hmm. And we were just trying to bring something new to a genre that we love. Um, so the idea was, first of all, start where <clears throat> most horror films end, which is final girl crawls out of the wreckage and then let's send her back. So that was actually the first kernel of the idea. And originally we thought uh, about doing it live action. And uh, then we thought about it, and our producers also said, hey, you know, uh, there's a lot of complicated special effects makeup, rah, rah, rah. Um, have you thought about animation? And we're like, hmm, we haven't, but what an awesome idea. So then we immediately went back and made things more expensive and more complicated because, you know, uh, whatever you draw costs the same, so we can as well... <clears throat> expand on it so we were sold on the idea because it's awesome since it really is not being done I mean they, they do it in, in Japan sometimes um, they go a lot further with animation in Japan when it comes to subject matter but here in the United States 
when people think animation, they still very much think, you know, Pixar. Mm. And so that's not us at all, of course. Uh, but so we were thrilled uh, 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 of the idea of doing an animated horror film. But as a screenwriter yourself, you probably appreciate that, you know, we went through probably around 25 drafts and it took, um, at, I'd say, a year and a half or so to get the script mm -hmm. right before before we began the process. So yeah. it's, it's just a lesson to all screenwriters out there that, uh, you know, take the time to get it right, please. Because uh, if we had shot draft number 14 or 15 it certainly wouldn't be the movie that it is and what what's with it being a co-writing job how do you two manage the workload as a partnership uh we just send the script back and forth essentially so it's not like we're sitting in the same room and you know talking to each other while we're writing mm. uh we do a draft and then send it to the other person and then they uh send it back yeah, well, we, we do conceptualize in the, in the same room. So, you know, we, we work out the main beats and the ideas and the structure generally mm. together. And then, uh, you know, then we'll each just go off and do a chunk of it. And then we'll just massage. Each one of us will massage and bring things to what the other did. So hopefully it's, you know, better than the sum of whatever that expression is. <laughs> do, you, do you have any sort of rules that you work to between each other? You know, like the idea of writing and overwriting and... and putting stuff back in and all that kind of stuff. Is that is that something you think about? Uh, well, what we do, um, because we are also story analysts and yeah. screenplay consultants, uh, so we have uh, certain things that, you know, are always a must. For, yeah. for example, having a solid structure is yeah. important. And so that's not something we, you know, compromise on. Or, you know, basically... Um, uh, when we have disagreements uh, about a plot beat, we generally, you know, try to hash it out, beat it out um, uh, in the outline and then move on to uh, the script stage. No, but generally everything is fair game. I mean, you know, we, we re re rewrite each other fairly constantly and, mm. you know, kill, killing your babies, as they say, is part of the process. And in horror, sometimes literally. <laughs> yeah. Now, the the thing that's hard to hard to, me, to imagine being sort of more used to to, to thinking in terms of live action filmmaking, what's the relationship like between the writer and the director on an animation compared to to say a live action? How does it, how does it work? Is what I'm asking, I suppose. Uh, probably actually in very similar ways, um, except you know animation takes longer, so you have to deal with each other a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> but no, basically um, in live action. Uh, the, uh, you, when once you complete the script, uh, the director uh, deals with the animatic, which is essentially moving storyboards, mm. and then uh, sends uh, the animatic back to us um, and to the producers for feedback. And then we all sit around and talk about the animatic, see if you know everything is moving smoothly, and if you know things need to be cut, uh, we talk about that. I mean, we had uh, quite a few things because we wanted to keep it under a hundred minutes, mm. so we had quite a few uh, things that we. Were Really liked. We had them cut, but it's okay. It made it better, made it smooth, uh, flow a little bit more smoothly. Um, and then after that, after the animatic is locked, you go to recording the voices. So you work with the voice cast in the studio, and that's mainly the director's job. Um, it's the other way around. The voices first, then the animatic. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, we can't do anything until we have the voices. Yes. But, but in terms of, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, uh, uh, and then basically after that comes the very, 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 very long slog of, you know, um, line art and color and animation. So that is then mainly, uh, the, the look is mainly the director's purview. 
Uh, so, you know, what, what is the color palette? What do the characters look like? Um, and also in our script, we have actually, which uh, we love, it's so amazing uh, what Jason, our director, did because we have a couple of flashbacks and a couple of um, different scenes that take place in different realms. And we have a, uh, a very different um, uh, animation and uh, line art style as well as color style in those. And uh, so we have some flashbacks which harken back to like 1950s comic book style. Uh, nice. we, we're really big fans of that. So Jason, our director, Jason Axon, yeah. uh, he summed it up um, when, when uh, a couple of months ago when he said uh, of the many years that he worked on this movie, that's a big difference right there, by the way. I, I think we were almost five years from beginning to end. Wow. Of the, that's certainly not a live action thing. But <laughs> of, of, the, of the many years that he worked on this movie, he said about 2% of it was actually directing uh, and about 98% of it was, you know, basically herding cats. So, which means, you know, dealing with all the animators, dealing with the, with the line artists, assembling everything, massaging the animation, just, you know, constantly on the phone and Skype with our crew from around the world, just trying to make sure everything stayed on track. Uh, it, it, it's a pretty nightmarish proposition, mainly because we didn't have the money to afford a proper animation studio. So we just had to build our own animation infrastructure with a worldwide team that we assembled from pretty much every continent on Earth except Antarctica. Blimey. So you're like, like a studio with no name. Correct. Or location. Or location, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in terms of... Um, money. <laughs> <laughs> Salute to that, yeah. Um, in terms of casting then, is that, is that, that, that's the, is that the director's responsibility in the same way a live action works or is that as much about the producer's conversation about who, who's available and stuff? Yeah, basically, we all sat together and drew up a wish list of uh, who would be great for those parts and how awesome would it be if we could get them. So we drew up our wish list and then we basically cold called their agents. Wowza. So <clears throat> in, 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 one of the things that people talk about um, is, is what they find of their story in the edit. Is, is is the same sort of discovery able to happen with what story you get with an animated feature when you get to that point like you do when because with live action you've you've shot things made probably in non-linear order and you compile it together you look at the edit and then you begin to find what story you've got is that a journey that is that journey similar or is it a different iterative process well uh, it is different in the sense that um you have the uh, once you have the animatic, mm. uh, it, it pretty much you know everything is locked. I mean, once once everything is assembled, there will still be frames that you cut out to make things uh, move more smoothly, or some animation that you will massage a bit to make it look better, mm. um, or you know some maybe you switch out one shot with another, uh, but that's rare. My, mainly what you do, is, mainly what you do is. Um, once the animatic is done, that pretty much is the film with, you know, some 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 tightening and some yeah. changes at the end. Got yeah, it's uh, it's very different with animation because you do not have that latitude. You know, we do not shoot a lot of extra footage. We just can't. Uh, it's it's, it's there, there are no extra choices to be made. So the finished film. Uh, is almost exactly the same word for word as the animatic that was created 
painstakingly created five years ago. Wow. The only difference really, like Tanya said, is pacing. Uh, you know, quite a few things we, we sped up. There were just a few lines. I think, I don't think we lost any scenes, but I think we, we cut a few lines mm -hmm, here and yeah. there for pacing. Uh, certain things within scenes, you know, that um, just just to keep it moving. You know, it, it was mm. very important for us in, in this movie that that it just, it, it you know, it, it's like a bullet train. So, uh, but otherwise it's the same. Now, now with, with animation compared to, to, to live, you've got the, uh, I guess you've got the benefit of Sky's the Limit in terms of if it can be drawn, you can have it kind of thing. Yes. Um, so in terms of uh, getting the listener who's going to Fright Fest to lick their lips, what of what you realised on the page that has now been actualised on the screen, are you, would you, could you give us like a taste of? I mean, if there's a big money shot you don't want to reveal, I understand completely. <laughs> but if there's, if there's little bit details of, of, of sort of horror things you're able to bring to the animation world that you're kind of obviously would have been now and impossible in a live action scenario. Of course. I mean, what's amazing <clears throat> is that whatever you draw costs the same. So mm -hmm. we have very elaborate death traps. We have a shark tank, which we would not have otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a waterfall in the building's lobby. So we, we basically, once we decided to go the animation route, we very much upped all those um yeah, production um, value shots, so to speak. Yes. So, I mean, basically, what we really tried to do in this was um, it, the story is contained. And mm. so, you know, there are quite a few sequences that take place in otherworldly realms, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. uh, which are not contained. But the story itself takes place entirely in a single office building. Uh, like basically following the Die Hard model there. Um, because like Tanya mentioned, originally the plan was to shoot it live action. Of course, once we realized we were going to do it via animation, then the sky was the limit. But the whole idea was to keep the story contained to basically uh, entrap our characters, mm. uh, you know, not give them a way out. So really it's more about the story than the animation. What we really tried to do uh, was basically just keep pulling the rug out from under the characters and thus the audience expectation-wise. So it's really more about the story and playing with the tropes of the genre, making people think certain things are going to happen because we've all seen horror movies and we have expectations of the way these things are going to go. Hmm. And then, you know, throwing a pie in their face and doing exactly the opposite of that just to get people's reactions. And so while the animation process certainly enhances that yeah. and gives us a lot more that we can play with in that regard, it's really about the story and the script and the characters. Now, uh, I've been asking a lot of people this because it strikes me, obviously, a, a film takes a while to make, and you've already you said yours to, there was, this is a five-year process of getting this from sort of start to where we are now. Um, what would you, what would, and I ask you this both, both indivi as individuals, what's your fondest memory of the last five years getting this ready from, like, of maybe a, a key achievement or a, a fun time you had while trying to get this to where we are now? Well, one of my fondest memories is simply being in the studio and having, you know, people like William Shatner and Ray Wise and Morena Baccarin read your lines. So mm. that's just uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, same. Uh, I mean, you know, as probably the world's biggest 
uh, classic Star Trek fan to get the opportunity to actually not only work with William Shatner, but actually have him read your lines. It's just, just breathtaking. And then hanging out with him and sharing a bagel with him and chatting with him after. It's just amazing. But I mean, Morena Baccarin, same thing. You know, I mean, these are people who we literally idolize. I mean, I have action figures of these people. Mm. And here we are working with them. <clears throat> Uh, it's just breathtaking. So, and I mean, hey, I still can't believe they canceled Firefly, and it's been twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> twenty years. Yes. Oh my god, it can't be twenty years. Maybe fifteen. Yeah, maybe maybe well, fifteen. Way too long. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you want if you want to get a Firefly flick fix, there's um there's a new podcast by the film critic Scott Weinberg. I don't know if you've seen the one called Science versus Fiction. No, but I will check it out. There's two episodes at the moment knocking about from that podcast to do with Firefly. Not listening to myself yet, but I just saw them come up on my feed. So, uh, cool. just as awesome. an aside. Uh, so, with those with those kind of key talent you got involved, and 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 can I? I mean, you say it was great sharing a bagel with William Shatner, but can you can you kind of can you talk us through meeting your idol, as it were? Um. Well, okay. First of all, intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so here's a great little anecdote. So yeah. um, first of all, William Shatner, extremely charming man. Right. Uh, very friendly. Came, came into the came into the studio, immediately just started chatting with everybody on the crew, you know, just making fun of people's names, goofing around with people. He's, he's a big practical joker. Within about 10 minutes, everyone just kind of relaxed because he was just so just kind of cool. And, and and it was like, oh, OK. We could it, it, all the intimidation was gone, which was amazing. But but I'll tell you a funny story. So when we first went into before we before Mr. Shatner went into the studio, the recording engineer at the studio sort of nervously came up to us and said, "Have you ever worked with Mr. Shatner before?" Well, uh, if you haven't, l let me tell you. Sir, uh, this this is what I recommend. Uh, now he's going to do his performance a certain way. And I recommend you don't say anything to him. He'll, he'll give you several versions of it. And then at the end of it, uh, if you have any notes or anything, then he'll accept it at that time. And we thought, hmm, well, that's kind of strange. But OK, if this is what this gentleman recommends, because he's worked with Mr. Shatner before, of course, we'll do that. Mm. So William <clears throat> Shatner comes in and, and he records all this part all the way through. And he's mispronouncing the name of the DeKalb family, which is the family in the movie, the DeKalbs. Hmm. He's saying it wrong the entire way. He's saying, well, I think DeKalb or yeah, something. Yeah. And we're all looking at each other like, should we say anything? Should And, and Jason, our director, is just like looking nervous, like, uh, uh, what should I do? What should I do? And finally, and Shatner just rolls along. He's not saying anything because no one's stopping him. And, and finally, when he finishes, he just looks up at like, Okay, and Jason kind of nervously presses the talk back button and says, uh, "Mr. Shatner, that was great, but I'm afraid you said you mispronounced the name. It's it's DeKalb." And William Shatner goes, "DeKalb? It's you mean I've been saying it wrong this whole time? Why didn't anybody tell me?" <laughs> <laughs> We're all just like, oh, no. so you know, it's just it's just one of those things, but. Um, what else? What else? <laughs> that was definitely the best story. Yeah. Well, well, I think. Well, obviously, you said it was great hearing them say your lines, but for you, as the people that originated these characters, what do you think, uh, Ray Wise or Morena or uh, Bill Mosley or William Shatner? What did they? What 
what any of them bring to the character that surprised you? Well, we had, um, I mean, Bill Mosley is known, who, by the way, just as an aside, is one of the most down-to-earth and funniest people ever, despite the fact that he always plays, um, you know, psychopaths, chop-top, you know. Um, but, yeah, so he definitely brought an extreme amount of menace to his character, Pavel. Um, Morena said she really enjoyed the Game Master's darkness and power, and uh, that definitely shows in her performance. And Ray Wise was just so amazing. Uh, what, first of all, one of the nicest people you could ever work with was just amazing. Uh, but what was great was how he managed to convey the family dynamic, because he is the patriarch of the family. So how, how he managed to convey the family dynamic just with his voice was amazing. Uh, for me, Morena's performance as the Game Master, she brought this sort of icy, supercilious aloofness to her portrayal that was just perfect. It was so spot on. I mean, this is really, uh, you know, it, it, it basically, it's she is just she is messing with people throughout this entire story. She takes no glee in it. She is not doing it to just be a, a bastard or anything like that. It is all in the interest of doing her job, which is creating an interesting game. And it's just, she's just so wonderfully removed from the entire process. And that, that's exactly why we cast her, because we knew that she could do that. And we were hoping that that was the tone that she was going to bring. But but when you actually hear her voice in the role, it's just so, so wonderful when compared with, you know, our protagonists, uh, you know, emotionality and frustration throughout compared with just, you know, basically I, a, 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 almost a block of ice. It's just and, and I know that sounds I, I'm oversimplifying it because there's a lot more texture to the performance. But but the, the contrast between the two is just breathtaking. And that's just in, that's just just in the voice performance. It's really great when you start with that, then it makes the animators work a lot easier. Well, look, guys, um, you're you're going to be playing at Fright Fest. I'll put a link in the show notes to let people have details as to when and when. But do you want to tell people when they can see your film at Fright Fest? Absolutely. It will be on Friday, August 23rd at 3.50 p.m. Cool. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Thank you, Stu. Thank you for your time. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.